this industry is just like at this moment or like the whole fast fashion especially doesn't really care about what's happening with the trash so we're like at the very early stage in this industry where you have like other industries where there's already more of a willingness to work with it hi i'm jeremy goldman and this is future proof Welcome to another Future Proof, the podcast where we dive into how to succeed in the world of tomorrow. And frankly, I don't think any of us can succeed in that world if we don't get a firm grasp on the topic of sustainability. So today, we are delighted to have Michael Bayer, head of communications at Yukon Acrobatics, which is a trailblazer in sustainable fashion. If you're not familiar with them, they're actually pretty cool. With a career that started with co-founding BMAG, the oldest roller skating magazine, Michael has been at the forefront of design and cultural trends for over two decades. At Yukon Acrobatics, he's pioneering sustainable practices in the production of bags and backpacks, transforming the industry with a commitment to eco-friendly materials and circular economy principles. Join us as we delve into how Yukon Acrobatics is revolutionizing sustainability in fashion, the challenges of sustainable production, and the future of eco-conscious design. Get ready for an insightful conversation with Michael. He's a leader reshaping the way we think about fashion and sustainability. And the conversation starts right now. Michael, welcome to Future Proof. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I know I had some of this in the introduction up top, but who are you and what do you do on a day-to-day basis? How do you define yourself? So I'm working for Yukon and I'm part of the company. We're running the company like Martin, Jochen and me. Martin and Jochen founded the company about 20 years ago. And I joined the company now and um, basically a bit, I would say, the jack of all trades. So I'm like working in a lot of different areas. And now I'm focusing a lot on this area of sustainability and the production side of things together with Martin, who's currently now going through the whole supply chain in China. And I'm like basically supporting him as good as I can. Well, I think it's obviously it's one of those things that's very interesting to think about the idea of sustainability. And of course, it's just interesting that people are getting more and more aware as consumers. But I'm wondering, maybe we could talk a little bit about like the production process, because I think that there are more and more people who are interested in about how a company such as yours can ensure that they are including sustainability and sustainable practices in their production process. So basically what we tried to do is like from a very early stage on, we said sustainability is very important for us in the whole recycling process. So already like around seven, eight years ago, we already started heavily working into this direction with the backpacks. And even before that, in before because the brand was coming from a fashion background, so we did t-shirts, hoodies, and sweaters. And even then we always thought about this And at that point of time, let's say around 10 years ago, this whole topic was still very, it wasn't that important for our clients and also our like store accounts. They were asking, why do you do this? It's expensive. But then in the end, we really believed that it's something which we wanted to focus on. And to be really able to focus on it, it means that you have to go down the supply chain several steps. So you need to talk to the suppliers, you need to talk to the suppliers of the suppliers. And then if you talk about something like the yarn used in backpacks, you need to talk to the people who collect the waste, who then create the granulate, and then who go further to spin the yarn and to then go into the end production. So this is like what we really focused on over these last years. And then we said, 
yes, we want to take care of this because the most of the emissions and the most of the damage in this whole process is happening at this stage in production. How frustrating is it, I imagine, to have that those conversations where you can see something is really important, but then you're having a conversation with, like, let's say, a supplier or a retail account who just doesn't get it, and you can envision a future where everybody thinks about these things more but obviously you have to create that future. And the only way you do that is by bringing people along for the ride and convincing them that this is something that's important. How do you convince other people in this thing that you feel very strongly on in order to foster change within the ecosystem? I imagine that's difficult. Well, for us, it is indeed a very frustrating process because if you look at the numbers and you see that only 0.6% of the goods which are thrown away in the fashion industry are actually recycled, and then you're thinking about, okay, why don't more people see this problem? And if you talk to people and to accounts and they say, well, we think like basically customers won't be willing to pay 20 euros more for this, or they won't be willing to pay 10 euros more for this. And just like a lot of people say like they don't want to do something because they think that the costs are too high, but then you don't really look into the future because ultimately you need to have a certain mindset and a certain willingness to also make things better. Because if you say you don't care about anything and you just care about the price, this is exactly what's fueling the fast fashion industry. And this is fueling these brands which are popping up, which don't care about all of these things. And they just define themselves over a good price. And we said, yes, we could sell a lot more if we would look at the price point, because for a lot of markets, this is more relevant, like in our feeling. But then we say like, okay, this is not the brand we want to be. And this is also not the future. We can envision that and once want to be. And we think that all of this makes a lot of sense because we did it in the past because we said we're going to work with recycled PT bottles at the time when almost no one else was using them for fashion. And now suddenly everyone is using them because the price dropped so much. So at the end of the day with these things, if you're able to be ahead of the curve, you can then, that's at least our theory, we can then inspire others who then do this. And then you have the economies of scale where like more people do it and then it will get cheaper because we say if there's 99.4% waste, which is lying around and you don't do anything with it, there needs to be a path to do something with this. And then the waste can be like a resource and something we can work with. Why? Like just thinking about it, it doesn't make sense for me to say, you need to do something completely new and you use oil basically to create this while there's like tons and tons of trash you can actually use for this. So this there needs to be like a tipping point where this gets cheap. We believe that this tipping point will come and we think that hopefully we can inspire artists to do this faster. So that's also like the thinking about this. And this is what we're going to tell people over and over and over. And say like, okay, this is important. Think about it. You have a certain responsibility for the future and you need to educate people about this because if people don't understand this and they don't know about this problem, they don't know about possible solutions, they will just accept the status quo. And we just want to challenge that. Yeah, you know, it's definitely interesting where I see this too in my own research and conversations with people where you have these weird kind of things that are popping up that seem to be, I don't know, to me at least, they're not consistent, which is almost not just a rise of fast fashion because we've had that for a while, but there are some websites that are just devoted and leaning into fast fashion more than ever before, 
while at the same time, there's a lot of data that shows that consumers care about this kind of stuff. And is it just two totally different types of consumers? Or is it a matter of, you know, we're inconsistent in our beliefs? Because these two things strike me as incongruous, but maybe it's like, because people are able to, quote unquote, get away with, you know, fast fashion and not be shamed or whatever. And they'd like to say, well, in theory, sure, I'd like everything to be made from recycled materials. But like, do you think it's inconsistent? How do you explain the fact that, you know, there are these websites that focus on fast fashion that are incredibly popular, while at the same time, consumers seem to indicate that they really care about sustainability and are open to recycled textiles, let's say? Well, the interesting thing, what's happening is in the industry itself, like for recycling or brands that focus on this, they're growing. So they're growing in quite a nice pace. But what happened now with the last years is that on the other side, like this fast fashion just exploded. So that's it, like a hockey stick quote that's happening actually there. And I think this has actually been fueled by the situation you have with Instagram and TikTok and people just want to have always new outfits. And so like everything got faster while you have like a very strong movement in the other direction. And people will always tell you, well, we care about the planet. We care about the way things are being produced. We want that people work in a good environment and care about the rights of the workers. But then this is like in a contrast because they want to say that the quick fix and the cheap goods which are delivered super fast so this is like two things which don't work very well together and that's why we also want to try to get a bit more of a understanding for people because what a lot of these fast fashion brands do and this is like something which is a bigger topic i think in europe because the eu is now releasing these laws against greenwashing so where they say you can't say it's like conscious clothing you can't say it's like green clothing of these things because what the big brands do and the fast fashion brands do is they hide this problem behind the cloak of smoke basically because they say they do conscious clothing but what does this mean actually and that's like the problem for the consumer it's like there's so many things happening so many different certifications that you don't know like is it not sustainable or is it not sustainable is it something good or not and then you say okay it's cheap they make it sound good so yeah i'll just buy it and so there's a lot of these things happening yeah, and it definitely seems to me, and I don't know where the regulatory market, if you will, is in this in like different markets, but I feel like you're right. There's definitely some confusion at the consumer level in terms of what is going to win out, like what is going to be defined as green or sustainable or whatever. And a lot of these things, it's like if you let a consumer in a capitalist society just kind of define these words for themselves they're going to define it in the easiest way possible to meet that thing. And especially, you know, at the very least, the benefit seems to happen that there is a lot more information about what brands are doing these days. And a lot of that's available online. So do you feel like at least that's beneficial in terms of keeping brands responsible in the future? I think it's good. But let's say like our process, for example, that this external recycling so what we know is that there's basically you can use in a yarn, you can use 10% or 100% of recycled waste. And if brands now use 10%, they will also communicate it as something which is recycled. And they just not talk about the 90%, which is not recycled. So what's happening a lot is that you only talk about the things that are good and then you omit the additional information. And this is like the problem with this way of communicating. And this is like where the EU or like different countries try to do regulations where they say, if you make a claim like this, you need to specify it. What does it mean? 
Like if you say a product is textual recycled, are you even allowed to say it if it's only like a fraction of the product? Right now, there's no law against it. Another company could sue you, but the companies then do it very flashy on the website. It looks very good. How are you going to look through this as a consumer? If you don't want to read about what chemicals are being used, what's the production process, how is it being produced, are the factories audited? So there's like hundreds of things you would need to take care of. And who's able to do this at the end of the day? And then this is like something where we say, okay, there needs to be like a regulatory setting for this. So there's also laws where you can actually look into this. There's like some bigger retailers which say, okay, they don't accept certain things and you need to communicate in a certain way. So this is the self-regulation of the fashion industry, which is happening in a certain way with some retailers. And then we think the more we communicate it and the more we educate people, the more people will understand what to look into. And they will understand if somebody doesn't write about a certain thing, it means it's not done in a good way. So this is most often, like I would say, the situation. If you don't read about something, then it's done in a bad way, most likely. So that this is kind of like the situation that this is like a puzzle game where you look for missing pieces. So this is not a good way like for consumers to actually deal with it. But I think you have a similar fragmentation actually in the food industry where you have like hundreds of different certificates saying is it healthy or not healthy. And at the end of the day, you can have like something like chips which are graded as A because they just play with the regulations so that they can do the, it's nutritious, but in the end, it's not nutritious. It's like a game. Well, that's why I think that there's, you know, even going around the idea of a company being like a certified B Corp, right? It's like there are certain things where symbols matter, terms matter. And I, you know, I think obviously you guys have been B Corp certified for a while, I believe, right? Yes, yes. We've also been doing this. And I think it's good because they do it on a very holistic level where they say, okay, it matters how you deal with your customers, how you work with your factories, and what you're doing for nature, what you're doing for your surrounding. And that's why we said, okay, this is like a certification which really looks into all these matters. But then as with all of the certifications, if people then just start to look, how can I get easy points? Then you kind of start tricking the system. This is always the thing. But then with this system, how they set it up, it's quite similar to what the EU is going to roll out for these ESG standards. So they have like certain regulations. They look into the matters that really matter. So I think, okay, then you try to play the system and you hire more diverse and get more points. And it makes a lot of sense to do this. And you look into nature and you spend your money in the city you live in. So there's a lot of these things which make sense. And for us, this totally made sense to work with them. I think it's good if there's certain certificates which are able to be more known because they really look more into this. I mean, then you have like certain certifications which don't mean anything because they just pay someone that talks to you two hours and then you're certified for something. So that's kind of like the market, which is crazy in certain Well, right. Because it's like if I was starting a company and I was cynical and I would say, well, this is a marketing opportunity for me to get a bunch of certifications that require very little effort on the part of my brands. You know, like, why would I not do that, right? If you're going to be rewarded for them. And that's why I think the consumer education becomes incredibly important in this, right? If you have consumers who don't fall for those cheap ploys, basically, then we all benefit because the things that require the hard work will get rewarded. So, but it strikes me also, and maybe you're a good person to ask about this, that, you know, you need certain kind of regulations, you need essentially laws in society, you know, otherwise society falls apart. And I think 
there are certainly more wealthy countries that they almost can't afford to think a lot about sustainability. And maybe there are some places where they can't think as much about sustainability because they're too concerned with cost. And that's where I feel like it gets to be important to just, can we make sustainability almost cheaper than fast fashion at some point? You know, can we find a way to just incentivize people to innovate to the point where sustainability is the cheaper option, not just the more altruistic option. Yeah, I think that this wants to be the ultimate goal because at the end of the day, you can tell someone, okay, buy something which is more ecological and person doesn't have money. So it, it won't work. So our whole approach is basically saying we need to come to a point where working with something existing, so the trash that exists costs less than using virgin oil to do the same thing. And for this, the process of actually, like what we're doing now with this textile waste, breaking it down and creating the new yards, needs to be so efficient and done on such a scale that it really works to be cheaper. And we believe that these things are possible because with the bottle-to-bottle recycling or the bottle recycling, you saw that this is possible, actually. So it now costs less than to produce. It depends always on the oil price and all of these things. But then on average, it costs less to work with the bottle waste to create like synthetic fibers than to do really synthetic fibers from a complete new oil-based solution. And this is something we believe that this will be possible. And it's like always the question of scale. And are the supply chains existing? And is it easy for the big ones to work with the supply chains to see the value and at the beginning? And they will see the value on from a marketing point of view for the rich countries, basically, where they say, okay, people care about this. But this will then pave the way for the approach where everyone will use it because it's just cheap. So what do you think about this, just the broader idea of certifications and some people getting certifications that don't necessarily mean something? I think that this is like a huge problem in itself because what you see often now popping up is this whole buy something and I will plant 10 trees or I will offset the carbon, the CO2 carbon. And that's like the huge problem is that it's so easy to game the system because if you work together with someone who's not very much, let's say, looking at the projects they're doing, then you're able to, for example, buy a tree for a few cents. And then if you really work with someone who really plants these trees in areas where it's needed, then you pay like 80 cents, for example, for a tree. But, you know, at the same time, I see that you guys keep track of, and I think it's really engaging about the total number of trees that you guys have planted, the total amount of river plastic that's been collected. And I think in some ways you know, just people gravitate to numbers. And I see that and I'm like, oh, wow, cool. They've had a lot of impact. That to me is really interesting. So it seems like this interesting balancing act of, if I understand right, it's not just the total number of trees planted, it's where are the trees planted. It's, you know, basically you're simplifying a number, but the things beneath that number, the subtleties matter as well. Exactly. Because if you take the example of the trash collection in river plastic, a lot of people that talk about ocean bound plastic and it basically means that so from the ocean away 50 kilometers into the land everything that's collected is ocean bound so if you talk about the country like in Niger or the Philippines almost all of these countries within 50 kilometers of the sea so there's a lot of greenwashing happening here where they say they replace the regular uh, trash collection and say they prevent trash from getting into the sea because all of this trash will land in the sea and this is something 
where you need to always do a lot of due diligence as a company to see with whom you work together. And as a consumer, I can always say, okay, you need to also think about the companies which you believe in or where you think they really think about all of these things because this is like something necessary because there's so many options. Like an example with trees or trash, like do you collect it from here or there or like what would really happen with this trash? And are you actually then taking the role of the state which is supposed to do something like this and then they just take it well the NGOs do it anyway so you don't also want to have this colonialistic approach like in countries like we sweep in when we take care of your trash situation so it's like a lot of things where you always need to think about and we always say we try to do things in the best way like we talk a lot to people and then if something is too good to be true or too cheap it's usually too good to be true and that's like the situation, if you can suddenly buy trees for a few cents and everyone else says that for 50 cents or 80 cents or one euro, then something is wrong with this project. And so this is like something where I think this, like all these things which need to be taken into account and where companies really need to also explain people why they choose certain partners. Yeah. And that's why at least I have hope because you see consumers are just getting more and more educated. So I see if they're able to connect the dots and see what you do is important. Also, frankly, the fact that what you're selling is very fashionable, you know, so I think that's always nice when there are brands that show, you know, it doesn't have to be ugly in order to try to be eco-conscious, you know, it's the opposite of that. And I think that part of it's critical. How much of the fashion industry is watching one another to just try to kind of put pressure on one another to do the right thing? Because obviously we talked a little bit about the consumers and the regulators before, but how much does one cool, hip brand look at the other one to say, how can we outdo one another from a sustainability perspective? Yeah, I think this is like a huge thing. And this is like where we think that we can create a lot more impact than what our size is. And so we, as you connect with that, so we can do it in our circle and basically people we sell to, but we have like distributors that also distribute other brands. They all go to the sales meetings. They all meet the other brands. And there's also huge brands in this cycle and they talk to the stores. The stores talk again to other brands. And then if there's a brand like ours now really moving forward into, into this field and saying, okay, this is important. This is like one of the big topics. The fashion waste is a big topic. Then these agents will then ask again the other brands and will say, do you have a solution for this problem? Like this small brand from Berlin does it. Why can't we do this? So this is like kind of like the whole idea, like what we're trying to do. And then if we can also show on the producer side and the factories and suppliers in China that there's like a demand for this, then even more people will potentially follow because as soon as they put it into the regular assortment, then per definition, more people will buy it because it's easy to buy. So right now we want to prove that this material is as strong as regular material and can be used for regular products which also look good and sometimes people have like this thinking oh it's a bit too eco looking too hippie looking and then you can't do the regular things how about i know i have to let you go in a second but just one thing i was really curious about is especially since it sounds like you really try to hold yourself accountable in terms of sustainable production and how you can keep getting better on an ongoing basis. So how do you see the brand evolving in the next few years in terms of sustainability and product development? I mean, what we want to do is we want to have like this backpack that at the end of the day, you could throw it into a collection box and it's shredded and then automatically the yarn can be used to create a new backpack. So 
what backpack creates the next backpack at the end of the day. And we think that this should be the case with everything in fashion. Yes. Because as soon as you hit a certain percentage of more material, so it's the same material, then this is in theory possible. But you need to also like give this information on your product so that people know this and know how to recycle this. And then you see the supply chain in China, which is able, or other countries, which is basically able to handle this to create out of a backpack the granulate, the, again, the yarn, and then the new product. And the more brands do this, the more this is going to be feasible. And it's like I said, it's happening with glass, for example. Glass is a great example. You use it a few times, then it's been molten again and being reused. And it's like always in the cycle. Because glass stays in the cycle a very long time. If there's like laws that you need to collect glass, which is, for example, in Europe in most countries. Yeah, so it strikes me. This is like, I think, a hopeful vision. And then maybe just, I guess, a, to counter it with a pessimistic, I hope not to end on too pessimistic of a note, but we have so much work to do as a society, obviously, in terms of promoting sustainability. And there's obviously some sobering statistics about how we think our environment is going to be impacted from a climate change standpoint in the future, no matter what we do. You know, it's just a matter of slowing down or minimizing at some point. So if we solve this within the fashion industry on a global basis, how much could that help? How important is fashion in terms of solving this problem? Fashion is very important in this whole scale because it's like actually after transportation, the second biggest emittent of CO2, which is like crazy because we just consume so much fashion. And it's like everyone, like in the past, you would have maybe one pair of shoes and you had this for a few years, but now you have like several pairs of shoes, several t-shirts, several. And this all creates so much waste, water, and also like with the chemicals being used and the microplastics. And this industry is just like at this moment, or like the whole fast fashion especially, doesn't really care about what's happening with the trash. So we're like at the very early stage in this industry where you have like other industries where there's already more of a willingness to work with it and people do think sometimes everything's taken care of because the goods will be thrown into a container and then someone will get it can use it but the reality is there's not that many people it's just ending up in trash like people just then the sorting facilities just pull out the things which are still valuable where someone threw something away by accident which is valuable the rest is just being like put into landfills or being burned. And so that's like the reality right now, this trash. And that's like the huge problem. Yeah, it does seem like at the very least recognizing the problem, acknowledging where we are within that evolution and having consumers demand better and having regulators ask for something and then having the production processes, you know, getting a little bit more cheaper and efficient. Hopefully that's like will lead to a virtuous cycle in the years to come. And creating a value. Like even now, like once you start using this material, then you put a certain value on the material. So like, for example, we pay for this material to be shredded, chemically recycled and to be used. So we already put the value on this. So already like on a very small scale, people then know instead of throwing it away now, we can sell it to a factory like for a little money and it's being reused. And once you put the value on something... I think that's a good thing about capitalism is someone will find a way to create more value and more money out of this. And this is a very good way to motivate people to take care of these problems. Well, no, I think it's a great sentiment to end on. And really, I learned a lot. I know our listeners did too, I'm sure. So yeah, thank you so much for making the time. 
Yeah, thank you for having us here and um, being able to talk about these issues. Thanks again to Michael for making the time. And if you like what you just heard and this is your first time here, be sure to subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, their choice is yours. And if you're a longtime listener, please remember to rate and review Future Proof, as that's the number one way we get the show in front of people just like you. Got a burning question you want covered in a future episode? Go to futureproofshow.com to submit. Special thanks this week to producer Jason Stack. Once again, I'm Jeremy Goldman, and you've been listening to Future Proof.